Well, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. If you are uh, visiting with us this morning, we're so glad you can join us for this time of worship. And if you're regularly here, we're also glad uh, that you're here uh, with us in this time of worship. If you are one of our visitors, we do encourage you to make your presence known to us. One of the ways you can do that is text the word welcome to that number that's on the screen. Uh, You can also use the uh, printed version, which is in the uh, uh, seat pocket in front of you. And we can uh, receive it just in the offering plate, and that, is, that works very well. Uh, we'd also like to be in prayer uh, for you. Uh, we have, after our worship service, uh, elders down here in front who would be happy to pray for you. And then we also have women uh, who will be in the cry room uh, praying for other women who would like uh, prayer uh, this morning. And I would encourage you to participate in that. Uh, you're also invited tonight to our praise service. This is our uh, major uh, Christmas uh, celebration this evening where we enjoy just a, a lot of Christmas music, a wonderful time uh, to celebrate the wonderful birth of our Savior. And would encourage you to invite friends to that. It'll be followed by a great Christmas dinner. And uh, the meat is provided, the drinks are provided. We encourage you to bring uh, sides uh, or a dessert if you're, the, the, the details are in the bulletin, but you can see what's there. And then uh, following that, we have the uh, youth group Christmas party. This is a combined uh, group where the middle and high school will be together. And then uh, also, uh, we don't want to um, forget to invite friends and family to our Christmas Eve service. That will be meeting at our normal worship time at 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. And we encourage you to invite folks uh, to that. Uh, I was told uh, by the deacons that our, uh, the year-end giving is asked to be submitted by Sunday Uh, December 31 uh, for it to be counted for uh, this calendar year and then also uh, due today would be our officer nominations if you uh, plan to nominate someone we would encourage you to talk to that person uh, prayerfully consider uh, that nomination submit the form to the uh, session mailbox which is in the top right of the all the mailboxes over there and I would encourage you to do that this morning because it's our last day uh, for those nominations. That's all my announcements this morning. Let's take a moment and prepare our hearts for worship. Do you have hope? I don't mean just a fleeting wish of, I hope so. I mean a deep and abiding trust in the steadfast love of the Lord. The psalmist said in Psalm 33, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him and on those who hope in His steadfast love, that He may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. 
We have opportunity now to express that hope as we declare, go tell it on the mountain as we stand. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for giving us uh, the opportunity to proclaim uh, the greatness of you, of what you have done for sinners like us in the giving of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to go and to tell the nations who you are and what you have done uh, for sinners like us. We trust that your Spirit will guide us in this time of worship, that you will mold and shape us more and more in the image of Christ and enable us to be lights to this world as you have called us to be uh, all for your glory and for your grace. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you uh, this morning and know that we can find rest in Jesus. We pray it in his most holy name. Amen.
Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. It is a glorious promise that we have uh, in God's Word. And as we will see uh, from our Scripture uh, this morning, the um, commandment that is telling us about covetousness, uh, we recognize that covetousness is tiresome. It takes a lot to want more because you only then want more. And it becomes tiresome because there is no end to the search for satisfaction and there is no satisfaction to be had, but much more, an abyss of more. And so as we uh, look to God's Word this morning, uh, I will be reading the Scripture text and then we will confess our faith together prior to us uh, confessing our sin to the Lord in private prayer. So this is the word of a living God from Romans chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So as we uh, think about answering this question from the Westminster uh, Confession of Faith, uh, the question is, what are the sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment? The sins forbidden in the Tenth Commandment are discontentment with our own condition, envying and grieving at the good of our neighbor, together with all inordinate emotions and affections to anything that is his. And so when we think about the different things that others have and are discontented with what we have, the Lord calls us uh, to turn our hearts from all the wants that the world would bring before our eyes, particularly at this season, and recognize that it's time to reflect on what we do have, not just in our possessions, not just in our family, not just in the things that we have in this world that we are abundantly blessed with, but most of all, the riches that are ours in Christ. And if we had nothing else except for those riches, we are the wealthiest of all people for the rest of eternity. And so let us find our hearts rest in that truth as we go to our God in private prayer. Lord, you know every one of our hearts. You know the divide and the gap that is there between what we know we should do and what we actually do. And in that same chapter of Romans 7, we know that Paul wrestled with that reality of doing what he doesn't want to do and not doing what he wants to do. Lord, the sin that is within us, the flesh rising up, and we run after all the temptations that the world 
and the devil offer to us. And so we ask that you would forgive us our sins. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have wanted something that we think could bring greater satisfaction than you, your steadfast love, and your promises. We ask you to forgive us for not finding you as fully sufficient, but coveting other things. Lord, help us to truly trust that you will provide. Reflect on the fact that you have provided. And understand, Lord, that we are called to even provide for others in their time of need. Lord, help us to be those who are generous and show forth that care so that we would reflect your glory and of your generous care during this Christmas season, but also every other month of the year. For your glory's sake we pray. Amen. We have a promise that has been given to us from Psalm 65. Uh, The psalm writer David says to us, or says to the Lord in prayer, O you who hear prayer, to you shall shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. And so we know the only way that that atonement could happen is because a child has been born. One child living perfectly that righteous life that we failed to live. That righteous child giving willingly his life for sinners like us and then not remaining dead but rising again. What kind of child is this? It is the Son of God. Let us sing and praise his name.
Let us come before God and give him our thanks. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We give thanks to you for this day, for this opportunity that we have to gather here to worship you, to sing songs of praise, and to hear your word proclaimed. Father, we give thanks for all those that you have called here to Redeemer. We thank you for uh, the saints that you have gathered here. We thank you for the fellowship that we have, for the act of kindness we can show to one another, and for the ways that we can show the love of Christ to each other. Father, we thank you for the joys of this past week. We thank you for the birth of Joel, and we just pray that you would uh, bless this little girl, pray that you'd watch over her, be with her parents. Uh, we just thank you um, for her arrival, and uh, we thank you for all of our children, Lord, and uh, just pray that you would watch over them and bless them and keep them close to you. Father, we also give thanks to you for the difficulties in life. Uh, for the difficult days, for those days when we can be still and know that you are God. We thank you for the ways that you comfort us and give us your peace, even as the world uh, and our world and our days can tremble around us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to be quick to go to you, and we thank you for the ways that you answer our prayers. Father, we give thanks to you for our pastors. We thank you for not only their preparation to bring us your word each and every week, uh, but we also thank you for the many ways that they shepherd uh, our congregation here at Redeemer and for, and for all that they do uh, behind the scenes, many things that um, no one will ever see, but uh, the lives that they touch, Lord, we give thanks to you for their work, and we pray that you would be with uh, your servant this morning as he brings us your word. We pray that you would fill him with the power of the Spirit, that he would be bold and proclaiming your word, and we pray that you would uh, be with us as we hear your word preached, that our ears and our minds would be open to the good things that you have for you, and that our lives would be changed, hearing your word. And Father, we thank you for the many material blessings that you give us, and we pray that you would uh, bless the offering that will be taken, pray that you would bless the administration of these funds, and that... Um, they would be used to further your kingdom and to spread the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Father, we give thanks that we do have good news to share because of Christ, the child was born. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can celebrate uh, the birth of Christ, but we also give thanks that the story doesn't end with a babe in a manger. We thank you for the life and ministry of Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross, that our sins may be forgiven and that we can have salvation. We thank you that he rose from the grave and he has ascended on high. And Father, we give thanks for that day to come, that glorious day when Christ will return. And we give thanks that he has promised to have already gone and prepared a place for us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed on heaven. We thank you for this hope, a certain hope, a sure hope, of eternity with you before your throne and where we can sing with the angels. And we ask this all in the precious name of our risen and reigning King, Jesus Christ. Amen.
I guess I could encourage you to come to the uh, celebration tonight for Christmas, but probably couldn't do as effectively as listening to the quartet during the offertory, because tonight we're going to celebrate, and my voice will not sound that good, but maybe yours will, so please come tonight. A couple of things before we go to prayer. I do want to continue to encourage you to pray for those who are in the bulletin, especially the Powell and the Scutton family. If you don't receive those updates, they're being sent out by the, uh, by the office. There is some good news, but still continue to pray for those families. Um, I also wanted to alert you to the fact that many of you have asked about plans going forward when Dan leaves. You know, obviously, you know, our youth pastor is leaving, going to another call. We're thankful for him and his family as they leave. Um, And you've asked me, okay, what's going to happen after? And I've told you, as we did at our town hall meeting, that there's a group of people in our church who are closer ministries who are meeting to make plans. Those plans continue. Uh, Most of those plans are now um, mostly finished, and they'll be submitted to the session for their approval. There's a little bit that we have dug into more than I anticipated, so it's taking just a bit more time. But please be patient with that. I expect in the next couple of weeks maybe a bit more, you'll hear those plans and you'll have a time to ask questions about them. So those who are young in our congregation as well as old are very precious to us, so we want to make sure that we get it as right as we can. So if you have questions about that, you can feel free to ask me. I'm happy to talk about it. We're a church. We're not trying to do things behind closed doors, except if necessary. So this is the Church of Christ, and it's important to share that information as much as we're able. Before we go to our God in prayer, I want to remind you of something that comes in Revelation chapter 12. One of my first sermons that I preached at Christmas was on Revelation 12, and it's about the history's review, the biblical history's review of the struggle between evil and good. And there's a very graphic picture in Revelation 12 where the Christ is born and the serpent tries to swallow the the child as he is born. And there's this great struggle that goes on as the church seeks to develop and grow, and the serpent works so hard to destroy the church. Maybe your time of Christmas celebration is filled with just pure joy. If it is, I'm very thankful for you. For most people, it's not like that. There's joy mixed with sorrow and struggle. And this morning as we pray, I want to remind you what Ephesians 6 says, that we do not wrestle, first of all, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the forces that are at work in this world. And I want to pray with you in joy, but also in the realism that there's a great struggle going on in our world. Would you join me in prayer? Our Father, we are very grateful this morning to bow to you in prayer. The amazing thing is that the God of the universe desires to hear us speak. And more than that, your word says that when we pray, that our prayers have an effect. That it's not because you are an ignorant being and you don't know what is best It's not as though you don't know what the future holds. It's not as though your plans are malleable. But it is rather the case that as we pray, you are delighted in listening to your children call out to you. When we bow before you and our hearts are filled with joy, these prayers rise before you as the Old Testament sacrifices, as a sweet-smelling incense in your nose. That's the way these prayers of joy come before you. And we are grateful that you delight in us, God, You're not looking at us merely looking and seeing things that are wrong, but you delight in us as your children. For those of us who have long struggled to believe that is true, we intercede this morning for each other. 
that in this time of great celebration where we hear these songs of joy and we want to sing them with our mouths, may we also know them with our hearts. That our God is a God who welcomes us into his presence. A God who delights in us because of the work of Jesus. And Lord, may we believe that to be true. Even if there are many, many causes that the evil one would have to raise in our minds our failures and our frustrations, all the things that lie in the past, all of those pale in comparison to the powerful grace of Jesus Christ. But Lord, we also want to be realists, realists when it comes to the way the world is. And I think it is our tendency to look around at our world and think if only our culture would change, if only certain events would be different, then our lives would be much easier. We tend to try to locate the struggle that goes on in our world as an external thing. And there's no doubt there is external problems in our world. Sin has radically affected the world in which we live. We have prayed and we continue to pray for those who are struggling with illnesses. Again, we pray for the POW as well as the Scutton family. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to those members of the, those families. Lord, we thank you for the way that you've answered prayers, but we intercede on behalf of them, Lord, and pray that you would bring greater healing and restoration. There are many others of us here who have been touched by also the effect of sin in our world. Maybe it is in the death of someone close to us. Maybe it's harm that's been done to us. Maybe it it is something in our bodies. We see the continuing effects of age. Lord, all of this is true, and we do not gloss over this as though these things are unimportant. No, we lay them before you as well. And pray for your help, for your strength. But this morning especially, we bow before you to lift up each other and the struggle that goes on in our hearts. The great battle that is being waged there between good and evil. It is not simply that circumstances need to change. But Lord, even as followers of Christ, there is still this battle of principalities and powers that goes on in our hearts and in our minds. Maybe even at times we believe that we must do your work. We must be the ones to bring about your will. And even though we want to be used by you, this desire moves from godliness to ungodliness. We try to manipulate circumstances. We make phone calls. Maybe we have meetings trying to work things out so that our way, which we legitimately may believe is the right way that this would come to pass. Maybe we're filled with a sense of self-protection. Maybe we have a sense that others are simply against us, whatever it is that we wrestle with this morning. Lord, again, we want to be realistic before you to acknowledge that in the joy of life, there's also this struggle that goes on in the human heart. And if we came here this morning thinking, I'm the only one that has that kind of struggle, we're here together to confess, as we've already done, but also to intercede for each other and to ask for your help. Help us, Lord, that we would become people of great integrity. Our world knows many who are not. In fact, it is the way 
of the human heart apart from Jesus Christ to be people who do whatever is necessary to bring about what we want. It is to be filled with anger, to lust, covetousness. It is to pursue more and more and more, more possessions, more power, more of what we want. And yet we see over and over in the history of the church that what ruins the church ultimately is not what happens on the outside. It is what happens when there is discord within. And for that reason, Paul writes to the Corinthians that they ought to humble themselves and seek to do what pleases you. And Lord, we do the same. And we ask that you would knit us together as a body in such a way that a world that is dying to know hope and peace, to simply be loved, to be cared for, to be spared the oppression and the violence that exists in our culture, that they would find, that we would find a place of rest and of peace, of honesty, but also of support within the body of Christ. We are deeply grateful this morning for the ways that you have and are working that to be true. And we pray that by your Spirit, especially at this Christmas time, when we celebrate the arrival of Jesus into this world, we do ask you, Lord, that his coming into our hearts by his Spirit would continue to transform us. Lord, what a joyful thing it is to ask you this in faith. Jesus said that if we ask in faith, not even the mountains can stand in our way. In fact, if we ask according to the will of God in faith, there is nothing that is impossible. And that is by your power. And so we bow our hearts and our heads this morning together collectively, interceding for each other and asking that you would be at work. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. We're turning this morning in Luke to Luke chapter 2. And we will be reading verses 22 through 38. That is not the case. We'll be continuing through verse 38 tonight. We'll be stopping at verse 35 this morning. I feel almost like I've given away a little bit of tonight, saying we're going through 38. Instead, we're going to go through 35 this morning and then continue through 38 tonight at our Christmas celebration. These are two very pious people who give their testimony about Jesus. And as I've said in some other passages where we have these prophecies, I want you to hear these prophecies with joy. These aren't just statements of fact. These are factual statements that come from hearts that see Jesus Christ's arrival. This is not just, oh, there's a truth. This is the joy you have only compounded. When somebody that you haven't seen in years, someone you love so much, finally comes. You know that feeling, right? Only this is much greater. Much, much greater. We turn in the scriptures to Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 35. Hear the word of God. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. I was writing yesterday with my youngest daughter. I didn't ask her if I could tell you this. But it's very complimentary, so I will. And we were talking together about whether or not Christmas was going to be white. Of course, you can look at a 10-day forecast, and if you have, you'll notice it's not. And in my Minnesota mind, that's not quite right. Because in where I grew up, there was almost always a white Christmas. In my mind, there's a special kind of longing that happens at this time of year. I imagine a snowstorm, not just inches, but feet of snow. So much snow that I get to go outside on my little garden tractor and move it repeatedly, pushing it into giant piles. And so much snow that the roads are closed and no one can go anywhere and we're stuck at home. And everybody's there. It's not a problem. Our family is together. The fire's crackling in the fireplace. Everyone's happy. They're snacking and reading. And most of all, they're playing games, and I don't have to join in. There is a warmth physically and emotionally. Everything is just ideal. It's Norman Rockwell. It is just the best. Imagine that. But now the reality of what happened the last time we had a big snowstorm last year, so much snow, I had to go out repeatedly to move it, and my hands and feet were cold, and I forgot to fill up the tractor with gas, so I ran out and eventually had to shovel. The firewood was too wet, and so it mostly smoked in the fireplace and filled up the living room with the smoke. We had to cancel plans, and some of us were a little crabby. And I was short because my books were at church and I didn't know how I was going to get everything done for Sunday. Mostly I remember people staring at their phones to figure out when this was going to pass. It was not the ideal. And the history of Christianity, my friends, is more like the second than the first. All of that history and your history as well. It's less than our ideal. At least in terms of the way that it looks to us. And it is because of the realism of the scriptures that we have come here this morning to what we call the prophecy of Simeon, 
Read in context, I believe it is more of a song. I've tried to encourage that. In fact, my greatest joy would be that after hearing this, you would leave with great joy. Not just hearing this truth and thinking, wow, I would like it if you said, Pastor, that was a good sermon. But that's not, not most important to me. Way more important to me is that you would have the kind of joy that Simeon had when he saw Jesus in the temple. He's longed for a day, and in all this failure of expectation in the past, all the less than it should have been in the history of Israel and in his own life, at this climactic moment, he sees Jesus the Messiah come to the temple. Simeon's longed for this day, and I hope that you sense the sense of fulfillment and what happens in this passage. And I want to give you something to mentally munch on, to spiritually savor. Simeon lived in a less than ideal world. He had experienced less than what was ideal in the life of his people. He had been longing and looking. And now in this passage, in this song, in this prophecy, Simeon leads you to joy because in all of the looking with longing that it happens in the human experience, even those who follow after Christ, eventually there comes a time, and this is where the joy comes from, where the promises of God are fulfilled. And I want to talk about, first of all, the looking and the longing because Luke emphasizes that in the first part of what I read. And then I want to look at with you the joy of seeing God keep his promises, especially against that backdrop of the looking and the longing. So let's start with the looking and the longing. And there are really two groups of people who help us understand that looking and longing in these verses. The first is his parents. At first... Verses 21 and following could sound to us like almost surplus information. I don't mean to be disrespectful to the Word of God in saying that. It's just hard to know why Luke records all of this information about why they are coming to the temple. Well, I'm going to tell you why. It is because in these verses, Luke tries to explain to his readers that Jesus' own parents were looking and longing for the Messiah to come. In fact, against the backdrop of Jesus' parents, we have the song of Simeon. When we see their looking along and we understand his, why do I say this? What we read about in verses 22 through 24 is a very clear fulfilling of three Old Testament rituals around the birth of a child. I want to note them for you. I could explain them all very thoroughly, which would be fascinating, at least for me. But it might miss some of the forests for the trees, so I'm going to be more brief. If you want to take notes, as some of you do, you can jot down these passages and look them up later. The first ritual that was being fulfilled here was the purification ceremony for mothers of children that happened 40 days after the child was born. You can read about this in Leviticus 12, verses 2, 3, and 4. The second ritual is the presentation of the firstborn to the Lord. This comes from Exodus chapter 13 and is a reflection on the killing of the firstborn of the Egyptians in Exodus and the sparing of the Israelite firstborn in that same story. The third 
The ritual is that of dedication. And it is the dedication of the firstborn, especially to the Lord's service. And here, perhaps, the best example is in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. Now, even though we might not understand initially what's going on as these three are combined in these first couple of verses, what I want you to sense is sort of the rhythm and the flow of what Luke is writing. There's a building of these three from the occasion of Jesus' birth to the recognition that he belongs to the Lord, and finally the dedication of Jesus to the particular service of the Lord. This progression would have been patently obvious to the reader's who looked at Luke and had an awareness of the Old Testament, its law, and its narratives. That Jesus' parents were fulfilling these expectations meant they were very pious people. They wanted to serve the Lord. But even more than that, the fact they fulfilled these expectations would have meant to the original readers that his mother and father were doing what many Israelites would do. This was not just Joseph and Mary. This was the Israelite way. This was God's people. This is what they would do. And Luke is trying to tell us that as Mary and Joseph did these things, the Israelite parents as a whole would do these things. And Luke is trying to push us to see that the people of God throughout the Old Testament were moving in expectation for what the future held. They were anticipating, they were longing, they were looking for the day in which the blood of birth became the blood of redemption rather than uncleanness. They were looking for the day in which the firstborn was more than just a recollection of how God spared his people, delivered them from the land of Egypt, but rather they would think to themselves about how a firstborn would finally fulfill the redemptive plan of God. And a child being set aside for God's purposes has happened in the case of Samuel in 1 Samuel, that Samuel really was anticipating the coming of one who would finally and fully fulfill the purposes of God. They are looking and for longing, and they are looking and longing, not just Joseph and Mary, but they're representing the people of God as a whole. And when you see that, then you can understand Simeon's word in verses 25 and 26. And there are three things about Simeon that really help us see how he, like Mary and Joseph, is looking and longing for the coming of the Messiah. First, Simeon is presented in this passage as a rather simple man. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet of great reputation. He, in fact, bears one of the most common names in Israel at this time, Simeon. He was probably in the top dozen of the names that were given to Israelite males at this point, the name of one of the sons of Jacob. He seems to be intentionally presented as the Israelite everyman. Just like Mary and Joseph are fulfilling what many Israelite parents would do, Simeon represents 
In his own way, the Israelite expectation as a whole. Additionally, he, like Jesus' parents, is notable for his piety. He's called righteous and devout. That might not mean a lot to us, but if you knew the Old Testament as well as these readers did, you would think immediately that this was a description given to Job in the Old Testament. And Luke had noted the same descriptors in talking about Zechariah, John the Baptist's sons, just a few chapters earlier. This is a man who is spiritual, every man, but a man of great spiritual integrity. And finally, the third thing you should know about Simeon, and this is the capstone to this description, is that he lives in the hope that God will bring his promise to pass. He is waiting for what Luke records as the consolation or the comfort of Israel. Later rabbis in the Israelite tradition would call the Messiah the great consoler or the great comforter of Israel. They would draw upon the language of the Old Testament in describing the Messiah this way. He's the one who finally brings to pass the hope of the Israelite nation. He is the completion of the expectation. He is the fullness of the comfort that God would offer. And Simeon in this passage is now filled especially by the Spirit as he looks and longs for the Messiah. He testifies. He calls out in the hearing of those in the temple. There would have been many people there. We think of him simply speaking to Joseph and Mary. It is more likely he would have spoken to many ordinary worshipers who had come to the temple, and he cries out. He says, My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon was looking and longing waiting when I introduced this sermon I set it up hoping that you would see that in some ways we live in a similar reality Simeon and Jesus' parents were looking and longing for the first coming of the Messiah I'm hoping that you look and long for the second coming of the Messiah. Jesus has come, and we celebrate that. We are going to celebrate, I think, like you've never celebrated when we celebrate tonight. No pressure on Ginger in that. I can honestly say to you, there is no possibility that the redemptive plan of God will be thwarted. That's what the first coming of Jesus means. That's why there is such celebration. But at the same time, it is not difficult to realize that there is a lot of redemptive space still to be conquered by the kingship of Jesus Christ. I look at you and I see people who know that to be true. I hardly need to convince you of that fact. That when you look at your own lives and the world in which you live, you can look and long for things that have yet not come. 
And even though this is going to sound very counterintuitive, and I beg your sense of forgiveness if it comes as a stark suggestion, but would you please consider, at least think about, injecting that sense of looking and longing into your Christmas celebration this year? How would you do that? Let me make a suggestion to you. It's not difficult. It is simply to allow yourself to think about what is not the way it ought to be. And I don't mean that you open your Christmas present and you're like, well, I thought I was getting this and it's this. Well, I better smile and say thank you. I'm talking about the deep things of God, what God desires, justice, mercy, the word of God spoken openly and freely. People worshiping Jesus Christ. The conflict that exists in our own hearts, the places where we struggle with sin, the places we struggle together. If your heart looks and longs for a time in which that will no longer be the case, you are also sharing the heart of Mary and Joseph and Simeon. They are noting here after the birth of Jesus, our looking and longing has finally come to completion. And what I'm encouraging you to do this Christmas season is to say with them our looking and longing also anticipates a day in which the certain plan of God that will absolutely, absolutely take place. You look and long for the day in which that will finally be complete. Do you hear what I'm saying? Does that resonate with your heart? I'm doubtful that I have to make that point too strenuously. But if there's still a little bit in your heart that says it's a strange sentiment, Pastor, to encourage us to have during Christmas time, one of the things I want to do is simply ask you to look. And you won't have to look very far to find it. You'll find violence and deceit, manipulation, ungodly anger, abuse, harm. It's all around us. And unfortunately, often it's also in us. And it is not only wrong to ignore the reality of life, it is also very, very right to adopt the longing and looking of parents and Simeon and the saints of God. Let me encourage you, say it in your heart. Do it. Say it in your heart. I'm looking and longing. Say it with your voice. The Christmas cards are meant to not only look back, my friend, but also to encourage you to look forward. Don't let that past fulfillment drown out the signal call of the future reality. Say it, even shout it. Come, Lord Jesus. With the same vigor in your heart as Simeon, shout it with joy when he held the child Jesus. Looking and longing. But I want you to try to imagine this morning this old man and what happened to him on that day. Because a looking and longing 
that he expressed so well in his life, the way Luke sets him up as a representative of that Israelite longing along with Mary and Joseph leads to a place where in verses 27 through 35 we see that looking and longing fulfilled. And this is where the real joy happens. To encourage you to be realistic about what happens in life is not enough. You need to hear that God himself keeps his promises so that what you look and long for in Jesus Christ will eventually be fulfilled. Again, I want you to imagine this dear old man coming to the temple on that day for years. He had been looking and longing for generations his people had. And now on this day, the Spirit of Christ reveals to him in some glorious way that the Christ is right there in the temple. Can you imagine what that would have been like? A man who had prayed for this. I imagine his parents and his grandparents, generations had prayed for this. Isaiah looked forward to it. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It goes that far. Can you imagine what it must have been like on that day? For Simeon to go in the temple in the Spirit of God, in whatever way the Spirit moved, to say, and there Simeon is the Messiah. And Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. Some of you know that one of my favorite things to do as a pastor, I have a lot of favorite things, but this is near the top, is when your children are presented to the Lord for baptism and I get to hold them in my arms. I can honestly say I've never met one of them I didn't truly delight in. But that's nothing compared to what Simeon experienced in the temple on that morning. The looking and the longing was met with God keeping his promises in this child that he was holding in his arms. Because of the depth of the joy that should occur, I want you to think about this in three ways. First, the keeping of God's promise, according to Simeon, is obviously so. That's what Simeon says in the first part of his song. He says God has kept his promise, and he has been kind enough to let Simeon see it. Simeon says, I'd see it with my own eyes. God has kept his promise. Here he is. And Simeon says, this is not only for me, for my eyes. He's not only going to go tell it on the mountain as we sang this morning, but he says this salvation has been prepared in front of all peoples. God intends for you all to know this morning this is true. This is not Simeon's news. This is our news. Over and over in the Old Testament, this idea of God's salvation coming in the sight of all people is the definitive proof that God has acted and kept his promises. And now Simeon draws on passages like Isaiah 40, verse 5, where Isaiah, looking to the future, says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. And Simeon says, Look, it's obviously true. God has kept his promise. I'm holding the baby in my arms. The second thing that Simeon points out in his song is that God has precisely done what he promised. What I mean is that Simeon says that this child will be a light for salvation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. That is a beautiful turn of phrase, but you should know that it comes from Isaiah 60, verses 1 and 3. 
I'm hoping if you go back and read that this afternoon, maybe you'll make a point of reading that before you eat your lunch. Isaiah 60, verses 1, 2, and 3. If you do, I would not be surprised if you jump out of your seats when you read it. It is that amazing. Because in that passage, Isaiah prophesies about the coming of the light and the glory of the Lord. He says the hope of the coming Messiah is this. And when the Messiah does come according to verse 3, he says, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. In other words, Isaiah seems to say when the Messiah comes, then the nations will be drawn to what Israel has. You might say, well, that's very interesting news. Let me make it a little more personal. Let me tell you why you're going to jump out of your seats. Because you're the nations. That's why. You're the ones, I'm the one he's talking about here. Simeon says, and the nations will see it, and we see it, do we not? In Simeon's word, God has brought the Messiah to Israel, and the nations will come to see. This is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that the Gospel points to God's promise-keeping that what he said in the Old Testament to Abraham and then over and over again that the Messiah would come not only for the people of Israel but he would come for the nations. This is the first time Luke says, and look, God is keeping that promise. Which leads me to say this about the precision of God's promise fulfilled in Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Apart from God's intention, I would be the swimming among those in the nations who would have no clue about your son. I would have no idea whatsoever. I would be somewhat happily living my life thinking that I must try harder. I must do better. But instead, because of Jesus Christ, the keeping of God's promise, I know the Messiah. And God has said, you, whoever you are, whatever nation you've come from, whatever your history, this promise of Messiah is also for you. The third thing I want to point out in what Simeon says, it's not only obvious that God kept his promise, he keeps his promise precisely, but he also keeps his promise decisively. And this goes to those last few verses that may seem like a little twist, a curveball in what happens in this passage. At the very end, these last few verses we read, you'll notice it ends with a challenge. Jesus' arrival, Simeon said, would lead to, I would best describe, as a crisis moment for many. Mary's own heart would be pierced through as she watches the harm that comes to her child. And the hearts of many in the Israelite nation would be deeply challenged would they rise to welcome the coming of the Messiah in faith or would they fall away in disbelief? For the latter group, their looking and longing is met with pure disappointment. That is, they've looked and longed in what they've come to realize that in Jesus Christ, they must abandon themselves and follow him and they go away deeply disappointed. They simply want someone who would add a layer on their life, approve of who they were, say, of course, 
Of course I want you to be my disciple. How can I not? You're so well put together. You keep the law. These are the ones who go away disappointed. But those who humble themselves before the Lord, those who see Jesus and the grace he offers, from the prostitute to the Pharisee, they rise in faith by the Spirit of God to trust in Jesus and to find the completion of all of God's promises in Jesus. In order for me to faithfully, I think, explain this text to you, I needed to communicate joy. And I hope you know it. But I also have to communicate this challenge. Because it's where the passage ends. It is human to long and to look for something. It is spirit-led to look and for long for a day in which sin and all of its effects will be taken away in here and out here. But it is truly spirit-led to come to a place in which our looking and longing is met alone in Jesus Christ. That is nothing short than His grace. And this morning in the Song of Simeon, Our God offers it to you freely. Then all the looking and longing that is found in your heart, you would find a deep completion of the promises of God in Jesus Christ for you. When I started this morning, I almost read through verse 38. I didn't. Tonight we will. Because Anna, dear Anna, will lead us to a place of ultimate contentment in Jesus Christ. Simeon challenges us first. And Anna leads us to a place that is intended to give you ultimate comfort. Until then, let's bow in prayer. Father, I am thankful, simply as your son, that the song of Simeon exists. Because there are many times in my own life, and this would be true for all of us, where we see a world in which we look and long for so much more than what there is. And maybe we are told, or maybe we just have this feeling that at this time of year, really we should set those things aside. They're not really appropriate for the Christmas season. Just sing more carols and drink some eggnog. But Father, the beautiful thing about your word, the amazing thing about Jesus coming into this world, is unlike any other place in our world where we encourage to be unrealistic. In the Word of God, we see things as they truly are. And instead of being told, just ignore that, there's nothing to see, you're going to be fine. The Word of God says it truly is worse than you could ever imagine. But the solution in Jesus Christ is far, far greater than your heart could ever hope for. And so we are glad this morning for this song, and we sing it along with our Father in the faith, Simeon. And look forward to the day when we will sing it with Him in eternity. We ask, as saints have, come soon, Lord Jesus. At the celebration of Jesus' first coming would eventually be eclipsed with the utter joy of Jesus' second. Father, hear us as we pray and now as we sing, for we come in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me in singing?
have a bit of an unusual request before I read the next, or the uh, benediction to you. And it comes because we have our Christmas program tonight. After the service is done and I exit out the back, you finish singing the song that ends our service. When that's all done, we're asking the kids to come right up to the front because it's really important to gather them before they scatter. What that also means is all of your wonderful talking that you usually do, it would be really great if we could do that out there so that these kids are not distracted. I don't know if you notice, but it's easy for me to be distracted, let alone these little kids. So if you could just make your way to the back and enjoy some tremendous fellowship back there, your children would appreciate it. In Revelation 15, we read these words. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Go in his peace. Amen.